how do you forgive people or do you even forgive people for their quote unquote social crimes against you? Like, what is your thought process when you feel like you've been wronged or slighted? How do you work through that so that you don't A, hold a grudge or B, let it consume you? Uh, murder. You like stuck the gun in a woman's mouth at the grocery store and you're like, do you like, you like bumping into people? Well, I'm going to bump this muzzle into the back of your skull. Yeah. All I know is I never messed with mom when she was in the garden because she grabbed whatever was closest to her. Oh, you- I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm starting to get images of children of the corn baby with a sickle and a scythe claw hammer. Dude, maybe that's why. Like, so a some trowel. People- We've all been there, man. You're driving yeah. around in your, your station wagon. You're in Gatling, Nebraska. You start running low on gas. And then some creep and a fucking preacher hat named Malachi starts running after you. Happens to all of us, man. Happens I was just... Well, bro, I'm sorry that you had a shit-ass, hammered, flatter-than-horse-shit, fucked-up, cunt-bagging day. That's Umbrella for you. They just wanted me to create a new virus, and I was like, no, and they were like, yes, and I was like, no, and then I did anyway. Okay, Wesker. Okay. Bye, buddy! Alright, man. Take it easy. Audience, welcome to N-R-O-H-W-W, Ninth Ring of Hell Whiskey Wednesday, where we pour whiskey, sip, and let truths out our mouths riskily slip while we unearth and resolve the world's woes. Here, we legit shit demonically, devil-fucking-heavily drink, deeply think, and find between worldwide grief and bona fide relief a link. It's no easy feat to these worldly worries defeat, but wham, bam, cam, and falsetto, slay and fillet dumbass concerns you may sometimes find yourself plagued with. Imbibe with us the cool, calming confection of the unholy spirit water. Today, on this whisk-wed episode, we discuss the best way to punish and purify the predators by a devilish demonic force possessed. The only thing I enjoy more than touching Othello is dialoguing on touchy, touchy topics. How do you best address a criminal act in the moment? A slap on the proverbial wrist or maiming and or deadly F-Star's force? We proceed cautiously with our lyrical, metaphorical safeties on, but we proceed still. We ask you, audience, what do we do with those who skirt, bend, break, and forsake the law? How often and to what mathematical precision does the punishment fit the crime like a blood-soaked glove on he who shares the name of my second favorite cat, OJ? We are the podcasters, not police, dearest audience. We preach not about affairs we do not know, but instead we pod and cast where few have the cojones to go. I would not want to be a cop nor a criminal. Rather, an informed, non-deformed caster with my mic blasting the power of Predator's plasma blaster. America may be the land of the free, but it never claimed to be the safest place to be for you or for me. Let the perfect punishment complement the imperfect crime. And while some are doing or being undone by time, I craft this clever, punishable by a fine pun rhyme. Unwind with Wham Cam and me. That sobering, downright criminal daily grind with a free, paroled, or imprisoned comrade and your cocktail of choice. 
relax, sip slow, and allow into your ears these chemohawk session wavelengths to flow. I don't know about the slammer clink's walls, but I can speak intelligently about bathroom stalls. Just remember my tale of that yellow-bearded truck, drunk, trucker, Santa Claus. Welcome to your ninth Wednesday, Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. Throw away the whiskey. As we are seeing double, so too will I speak double. Unwind with our tipsy F-star selves, the sobering daily grind. Cheers, audience. Welcome. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Ah. <laughs> In the interest of truth, the truth shall set you free, but we both know that it imprisons you. We will not be drinking tonight, audience, because we don't have to. Just because it's Whiskey Wednesday does not mean that we have to drink. That's our call. It is a sobering daily grind, after all. <laughs> so we, we're just going to mix up the rules and play it as we want, because that's our right. We make our own rules. <laughs> we do. We really do. There's no one to police us. That's true. That's true. Uh, and I think it's so funny. I'm going to start. I was going to start with this whole thing, but really, I'm going to start with this. Yeah. It's the idea of cosmic coincidence. Attention, audience and allies. Wham Bam Cam just released his Audible Ally episode number 11, Removing the Mask, which I listened to in the bubble bath. And I can tell you that I almost shit myself in said bubble bath which would have turned into a Mississippi mudslide when I heard him say a song by Creed. Why, you wonder, <laughs> would I stoop to such ridiculous levels? Well, first of all, I like that episode. I like the throwing it back to the discussion that we had at Steiner Ranch Steakhouse. So that was very cool. I like that there was a lot of knowledge coming from a lot of sources. That was very entertaining. And I like that it was a brief episode because sometimes I'll listen in the bubble bath but then I started getting the prune fingers mm. and the prune balls, and that's too long to be in a body of water. With that said, the reason that it is a cosmic coincidence and a teeny tiny planet that we are on is because for this episode, which deals with crime and fucking punishment, I had already laid out some information on my own prison by Creed. And I was even going to sing some of it, and you're welcome to sing along if you want, but you've got to do your best Scott Stapp drug, alcohol, fuse, soaked <laughs> voice. With his long hair when you do it. Creed, man, when you said Creed, it immediately took me back like the doc and back to the future style because I immediately had to sit down and think about 1997, Creed. They had, with their debut album, My Own Prison, they had four tracks and then they went, okay, not just quadruple platinum, they went six times platinum, sextuple platinum. And the four songs of note, My Own Prison, Torn, What's This Life For? Which is funny because in that they say, God damn, like twice. And they're a Christian band, but then four was with the song one. And dude, these songs just took off. And My yeah. Own Prison ended up selling 15 million copies worldwide, making it one of the most successful debut albums of all time. In the topic of punishment, which is today's topic of choice, when I think about punishment and I think about a certain punishment fitting a certain crime, what comes to mind to you, Wham Bam? What is your immediate go-to thought when you think about the concept of punishment, justice, vengeance? I'm assuming it's going to start with something that rhymes with rat and it ends in something that rhymes with pan, but maybe not. I don't know where you're coming from on that part. Rat and pan. Batman. You've had See, a long maybe day. I, maybe I have had a long day. Had a long day with um, maybe I do need the liquor. I need to go to the store. When it comes to crime and punishment, man, you're just hoping that it's an equal judgment for it like the all the options all the evidence is weighed 
I don't get murdered for stealing a candy bar, right? Like that I'm not going to go to the electric chair for stealing a Twix, right? Because that would be terrible. And that's one of the many reasons I'm glad I live in America. Unfortunately, that's not the case worldwide. That's kind of my thing. I wanted to match it. The severity of the crime definitely depends on what your punishment should be. I don't know. I think firing squad for a Twix thievery might make sense because if you recall the commercial, it's two for me, none for you. Well, that's just because so, you have an unhealthy <laughs> the need to eat Twix. And so, so anybody good. who takes one from you is it's no good. I would actually be willing to forego punishment on a regular Twix, but a peanut butter Twix, which comes oh, with a red dude. wrapper, they're going to be fitted for a pair of cement boots and thrown in the Chesapeake. <laughs> that's what's going to happen to them. So My Own Prison was a song that I listened to way too fucking much. It's not a good song to listen to when you're angry <laughs> or you're already on the fence about no. whether Little Billy's going to get it or not. I would listen to that song and I would let the words infuse into me and I would imbibe them. But man, you're welcome to sing along, but I'm just going to start off with the song. His grungy, post-Nirvana, angry mm. at the world voice. A court is in session. A verdict is in. No appeal on the docket today. Just my own sin. The walls are cold and pale, the cage made of steel. Yeah. Screams fill the room alone. I drop and kneel. And I said, oh, should have held my head up high. You know that song. Everybody knows yeah. that song. Just remember that he was wrong because his lyrics, they go so dark and you feel so trapped and suffocated by them. Should have been dead on a Sunday morning, banging my head. No time for morning. Ain't got no time. But we got all the time in the world, people, audience, listeners, because we make our own time as we go. The lore of the poor today is simple. Nothing. We're drinking nothing. 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 Not a zip zilch. Zero. So while we may not quench your thirst, we will certainly quench your curiosity as we ask good questions. Now, a few quotes come to mind. This is some crime-riddled quotes, if you will. All men make mistakes, but a good man yields when he knows his course is wrong and repairs the evil. The only crime is pride, Sophocles. Poverty is the parent of revolution and crime, Aristotle. And I know you, Wham Bam, I know you love the Greeks. You love them. Yeah. You fucking do. I do. I like that last quote. That was a good one. And lastly, we have the man who has a conscience suffers whilst acknowledging his sin. That is his punishment. That's Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote Crime and Punishment and many other novels. I wanted to ask you right off the bat, because you're someone who has likely been in adversarial circumstances in your life with coworkers, with street urchins there in Austin, maybe even family members. But how do you forgive people? Or do you even forgive people for their quote-unquote social crimes against you? Like, what is your thought process when you feel like you've been wronged or slighted? How do you work through that so that you don't, A, hold a grudge, or B, let it consume you? Uh, murder. No, I'm kidding. And it's funny because I literally typed you that to tell you that I was ready today. It was just one word, murder. That is funny <laughs> and oddly disconcerting. Right. No, I'm kidding. You go back to the weighing on just the punishment for the crime. It really depends, I guess, on what happens. I've had instances where like somebody's bumped into me and maybe I've lost my balance a little bit or whatever, I have to catch myself. And you kind of turn and I guess based on that, if they acknowledge and like I'm sorry or whatever, like you can kind of brush it off or like accidents happen. If they don't say anything, then 
I've been known to be like, oh, excuse me, bitch. I'll just like, sorry, I was in your way. Like, I'll, I'll get pretty passive aggressive. Um, <laughs> and my wife's like walking away, like her hand by her head, like, oh my God. But I've had it happen as much as uh, Texas is a legal carry state. And we were walking through a, like an outdoor mall. And this car was coming up uh, to like a T intersection, but when we were already about halfway through it and they weren't stopping, hurried and pushed her forward pretty quick uh, as he like realizes that he's fixing to like nail us. And it wasn't like a screeching halt, but like, dude, it was like, if I had breathed one step the wrong way, I'd, I'd have gotten a hit. I like slammed my hand on the car. Yo, motherfucker, you not see us standing here? You're driving like a hundred miles an hour through the goddamn parking lot. And he goes to get out of his car. I reach for my protection. They know what I'm Condom doing. Audience. <laughs> they know what I'm doing. And they sit back in their car and they wait for me to finish crossing the street. I've gone to that extreme as well because you came at me with a deadly weapon, a vehicle moving at a high rate of speed. I will match that energy any given day of the week. This is where I thought this was going to go. You talked about like <laughs> You didn't the, know I was that angry. <laughs> well, the example given was you're in the grocery store, someone bumps into you or some such thing. And then you hit him with a little passive aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. And then you start talking about how Texas is a state where you can carry a weapon that, that fires metal projectiles at a high rate of speed. Just let me know when they create ice bullets, because then they will melt and the crime will be concealed. But no. Busters prove that can't happen. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that instead of passive aggressive, you upgraded to aggressive aggressive. You like stuck the gun in a woman's mouth at the grocery store and you're like, do you like, you like bumping into people? Well, I'm going to bump this muzzle into the back of your skull. But no, that's some lead double bubble, bitch. Oh. <laughs> that also reminds me of a story where I had this friend, her father-in-law, who I was pretty close with. No, I'm sorry. It was her stepfather. He had a job with the customs enforcement. So he had like a badge, but he didn't have any weapon or anything. I mean, he was just essentially, he was like customs enforcement where he would make sure that a lot of the crates and everything and the storage containers that were entering through Mexico were kosher. But really all he did was push paper, right? Mm -hmm. But he did have to spend time in some crazy places like Laredo and other places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. These movers were helping my friend move. And then for like a whole day, they were unaccounted for. They were supposed to get from A to B. 20 hours later, they still weren't at B. So phone calls were being made, inquiries were being broached. Well, finally, for some reason, they ended up meeting up at some field that was relatively close to the drop-off place. And the stepfather shows up and he's angry. You know, he, he thinks that the items are, have either been stolen or they've been damaged or something. It's him confronting these guys, these storage mover guys. They start coming to terms and some foul language is used. And finally he goes, you know what? I'm going to go get something for my car. And he starts walking towards his car. Well, what he's going to get is he's going to get his badge to try to use some authoritative flex. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, we're going to go to our car and get something too. And it was this awkward standoff where... <laughs> I think on the way to the car, he realizes, okay, I'm just going to get a badge. I think they're going to get a gun. He like yelled in their direction with, I'm going to get a badge. <laughs> oh, oh, well, why didn't you say so? Oh, hey, yo, oh everything's fine now. Felix, put that thing under the rug. You know, he was able to defuse the situation, but had he not have thought to let them know what his intention was, been bad news. it's furniture, man. It's furniture. You know, you yeah. can get that shit covered under your insurance policy. I've been wondering, so... Can you think of a time where you had slighted somebody and you were forgiven, whether it was at work or in life? It could have been a simple mistake. It could have been a grave mistake. But can you just think of a time where maybe when you were forgiven and how that made you feel being forgiven for just some thing that maybe you'd even forgotten about? That's the issue. I forgot. 
<laughs> and that's okay because I was going to tell people that you've never actually made a mistake. Perfect. Yeah, let's go with that. I As just, we wait for the power to go out of my house again. No, no, this is not. This is not a holier than thou episode. This is a crime and punishment episode. But I guess that could also lead to lightning bolts being hurled in our general yes. vicinity. Yeah. I can remember somebody forgiving, apologizing to me, and it was unexpected. When I was handling claims, I would go out to people's home and they were shittily pissed off. They were in a bad state. They were, you know, stressed out. They were flummoxed. They were having anywhere from a conniption fit to a full blown meltdown. It was about probably 65% of the time I was yelled at, I was threatened, or I was cursed at. And I'm just a guy in a polo tucked into some old Navy khakis with Skecher tennis shoes on saying, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm going to get out of your hair now. So I just always leave in the house, like looking down at the ground, feeling sad and beaten down. One time, this woman, I denied her claim, and rightfully so, because she was a bitch. No, she had mold for Christ's sake, and she was a bitch. So she was a bitch with mold in between her toes. No, I'm just Ugh. kidding about that last bit. That you don't cover insurance between toes. Don't even. So she was really mean to me. And then I left the house. And so I go back home because it was relatively close to where I lived. And it was only like nine in the morning. I get a call from this woman and she says, yes, I'm calling to tell you that I'm sorry for how I treated you at my house. Wow. And I said, okay, um, wow. Well, that's, and she's like, yep, that's all I wanted to say. And then she hung up. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so shocked to get that call because I can't ever think of a time in about four years of claims handling where I was seeing people all over Texas. I can't remember a time where someone got mad at me and then they apologized for how they behaved or what they said to me ever. And that makes me think the amount of time it takes people to go into full-blown pissed off mode and how quickly they turn irascible and then the language that they'll use, like go fuck yourself, that kind of stuff. Unless you're from Boston or something. Boston, Boston. 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 Are, you, are you a fucking co-op? Are you a, co-op? a fucking co-op? <laughs> but I just wonder, do they not have any social etiquette? Do they not care? Were they raised by wolves? Are they already pissed off in life? And then this was just the icing on their shit cake. Those are the types right. of things I wonder about because how many times have you dealt with a social interaction with someone that was providing you a service, whether it was a commodity, oh, an insurance service, and you just, they were never mean to you. They just told you what you didn't want to hear. And you were like, oh yeah, well, why don't you go fuck yourself? Like how many times have you done that really? Yeah. And, but then I think, oh, you're like from a, a lowly Texas town. You're not from Boston. So, Boston. so it makes Boston. sense. It makes total sense. I think it depends on exactly your surroundings or your experiences as you were growing up, right? Like we're joking, we're making the, it's, it's semi-true, but we're making the jokes about like Boston or, or New York. Hey, I'm walking here, right? Like I saw a, a TikTok uh, right when the turn of the new year happened and it was in January, New Yorkers only do this. Oh, hey, they're like leaning out the car window. Oh, it's okay. Like you were walking, it's fine. Like they're like being apologetics. And then like February 1st, they're like, ah, mother you. And like, it's a joke. It's a thing. But like, that's real because then you hear the phrase Southern hospitality as we're driving down these roads or back roads or whatever. And we're like, raise your hand at the dash and like, say hi and, and things like that. So it's system of where we grew up or, or the, the area that we are in or just who raised us. See, I always thought Southern hospitality meant that they would still cuss at you, but they would just do it in such a polite way. Fuck you, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've joined a gentleman's club and now you can see your fucking ass outside of it. Thank you kindly, or I declare you're a fucking dickwad. Declare. They just they say it with such a soothing draw that you can't help it. Like Matthew McConaughey telling you to go fuck yourself does not Dude. sound the same as like Sully Erna from Godsmack. It's just not. No. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool if you did. I know, I know. 
Are you someone that has held grudges in your life? Absolutely. At what point did you realize, okay, enough's enough. I'm just going to stop being angry about this, or I'm going to let this go. Six months, six days, just depends on the situation. It really depended on the situation. The pivotal point in my life is when my father passed, and I saw some of the residual guilt from other family members who maybe didn't get to resolve things with him before he went. And it made me think, well, is there anybody in my life like that, that I don't want them to go or be gone without me ever saying, you know, I apologize for blah, blah. So like I joked at the beginning that like I could be pretty quick to anger and the stories I told are fairly old, but I'd like to think that's why I think that's why the answer was so hard for me earlier. I'd like to think that right now I'm pretty forgiving. I have this like, it is what it is mentality. What happens happens. I can control what I can control. My reaction to a situation or somebody wronging me or, or whatever, I can get upset in the moment. But once we part ways, it's done. It happened, whatever happened. Kind of move on from there. Try and forget about it. There's, there's no use in this hectic and hellish world that we live in. I don't think it's value added for me to be thinking about that or to be guilty or worried about that outcome over and over again. It happened. It's gone. We move on. That's been something that I've really, it's kind of been a decades long struggle for me. And the way that I remember reading it that was probably the most eloquent was when you're angry at somebody, nine times out of 10, they don't even know it. And some of the people that do know that you're angry don't care. Whatever you're holding on to, it's a burden that you're carrying that really you're the only one that's being beset and exhausted by it. I guess you would really have to evaluate, okay, and maybe you just set like a kitchen timer for it. Like, okay, I'm going to give this person three days of rage. But by the third day, it's out of my system. So you kind of hold yourself accountable to how long you're going to have the hate or how long the grudge is going to last. Yeah. I think that's probably a good rule of thumb. I think now, so. It's funny with the idea of punishment. So I've never been a perfect person. And looking back on big segments of my life, there were people that were genuinely trying to be nice to me. And I was either indifferent to it or I just kind of repudiated it almost. And I, and I don't mm. know why. I think it was just because I was younger and I was dumber. Like in, you know, point break. Ah, young, dumb, and full of jizz. Well, aren't you a blue flame special, son? Nobody does angry outbursts better than John C. McGinley. That motherfucker, nice. he just is so, you can see the veins in his oh. forehead all the time. And he's so mad. And I Dude. love it. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good. I just love it when he's like, is there anything even remotely interesting that either one of you have to tell me? Point break. I caught my first tube this morning, sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> when I was in the hospital and I was drugged up out of my mind, I remember telling the nurses to do weird things. I was like, I want you to take the clock off the wall. I want you to close the blinds. I think I was subjecting myself to some type of punishment. And there were periods of time where I felt I deserved what had happened because of the people that I had wronged or something in my life. Well, that was a, it was a season. It was a period that I went through. And then afterwards, I had the wherewithal to be like, okay, I actually am off the hook for quite a while because of this. So I was able to transform it into something of, okay, I've more than paid my dues. And I remember my parents weren't particularly elegant in some of the things they said, but it didn't really occur to me what had happened until my dad was like, Falsetto, you've been through things that the vast majority of people on the earth are not going to experience. Like mm -hmm. that level of trauma, sustained trauma on your body, life and death type situation. And then that kind of gave me pause. And I thought, yeah, I'm off the hook. Like if I pissed people off in the past, okay, whatever. We're even now. Tabula rasa, blank slate, and then we move forward. 
And I can tell you, man, that I can tell you without you even having to admit it, but I believe that you have profound change in your personality and your character after your dad's passing or, or dealing with that kind of all throughout that process. Yeah. And some of it has probably shown itself to you and some of it probably hasn't yet. And it may take a long time for that to unfold. But I know that I'm not the same person as I was prior to 2017. I know I'm different. You're absolutely right. At at Umbrella, just last week or earlier this week, we had a manager in our work group. He brought this book called The People Code. And it was actually published in 1987. And The People Code is an entire book dedicated to those personality tests. Are you a type aggressive or all that kind of stuff? And this one is down to like a color group that you're in, like red, blue, yellow, and white, I think, actually. And we went through this whole thing. As we're doing the task, like as we're going through and answering all the 40-something questions or whatever, they're like, yeah, I think about like, you know, from like when you were born, how were you? And I'm like, what do you, I'm like 20 questions in at this point. I'm like, what do you mean when I was born and how I was then? Because if I'm answering for that, well, that was my personality then. I'm not that person anymore. Hell, I'm not the same person I was a year ago that I am now. Experiences in life change you and mold you every single day. Like you're adapting, you're, you're as a human, you're learning new things and how to handle different situations and, and all of that. And inherently, like they can say, well, what was your gut instinct? Well, my gut instinct could have been wrong, right? Like that's a human aspect of it. It's what your mind can do to control whatever that is, that's your personality. Nope, nope, I shouldn't lash out in anger. No throwing a hose around that person and dragging them through the street. I should probably say, you know what, it's okay. That's your personality. I kind of went off at this manager. I was like, okay, so first off, this book was published in 87. You even said that they had to update the title at one point because it wasn't PC. So did they even update the content of this, the instructions to this? Because that is not accurate. Oh, me answering this as, oh, yeah, this is how he was when I was five. So it's the same way I am now. No, it's not. That was 30 years ago. Those experiences from small to as large as you or myself have gone through change you and make you look at life and situations differently, which inherently changes who you are as a person. So I don't know if you had this as a repercussion of your experiences. Ever since the hospital, I am more susceptible and sensitive to like extreme violence. So like when I was younger, I would watch like the Saw movies and they weren't always pleasant, but I could watch them because it was kind of that, if you think about it, like a, a line graph where it was like a parallel relationship where the shock value can't turn away from a horrible accident on the freeway or yeah. like in the movie, Only the Brave. There's that movie, Only the Brave, and, and there's a bunch of firefighters based on a true story. And Josh Brolin describes there's a grizzly bear running down the mountain on fire. And he said it was like the most gorgeous and the most grotesque thing he'd ever seen in his life. Yeah. When I was younger, the violence didn't bother me as much because there was that, oh man, the shock factor, I can't look away. But after 2017 and after like being in surgery and feeling sensitive to heat and cold and like sensitive to a lot of different things, violence on screen bothers me more now than it did then. And maybe it's because I have, I can put like kind of a realistic perspective to it. And I'm just curious if you had a similar experience where after spending so much time in the hospital, does violence affect you more now on a more visceral level than it did 10 years ago? I want to say violence per se, but maybe like grotesque things. And I'm not sure why. I don't know. If, I don't know if there was just a certain pivotal moment. Like a Taco Bell bathroom. Absolutely. The, 
those are definitely not catered to the customer. Uh, those are those are built for crime scene navigation. Uh, it's for the cockroach. <laughs> that's right. The medical even tell you like I could listen. I used to be able to listen to like some of her early on stories of like crime, like not crime scenes, but uh, medical scenes that she'd show up onto and and things like that. And now she'll talk about things or whatever. I, don't, I just don't want to hear it. Yep. I don't know what that is. There's there's just something where I'm like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> and maybe that's me like trying to guard like a certain part of my mind or something. I don't, I don't want to start thinking about that kind of stuff. I understand that concept for sure. I know wholeheartedly full bore, no equivocation that my cancer experience has made me more sensitive to what people think more sensitive to how I'm being perceived. And it's made me more sympathetic to other people. Kind of a bittersweet expression though, because whereas when you feel more things, you can be more in tune with what other people are thinking and feeling. The problem is it's more exhausting. The more that you feel and the more that you empath and the more sympathy you give, it does take a toll. Like it, it takes things from you that, you know, it's kind of like, like, I guess like carbon monoxide is silent and it's a killer. I think giving too much of yourself or opening yourself up too much to what people are feeling when it's not even you feeling it. I think that kind of takes a toll too. And it can be kind of the silent exhaustive force that you have to kind of keep in check because you still want to have energy. So you can do the things you want to do, where you can be yeah. fresh and everything. Hard for me to think of how your sister has the energy to even do what she does because it's not only long hours and a large volume of hours. I guess like firemen, you know, they're not putting out fires all the time. It's not like 24-hour fires. They work in shifts, even though those shifts may be long, but they're not always getting calls. But still, it's like, you know, just to show up to these scenes where there's just such an adrenaline connection to it. But then, like she said on the episode, you know, like, well, some people just have dry fucking feet. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like I could see you're getting annoyed. Hey, this isn't getting my blood up. My pulse is like 15 over three. You need to give me something that makes me actually get excited like a roller coaster and my That's adrenaline right. pumping. It's like <laughs> your dry feet ain't cutting it, which now maybe if your feet were on fire or something. Yeah, I definitely changed. And Red Devil would tell you, Othello would tell you that it's, it's for the better because it seems like everybody wants people to be more feeling and empathetic and all that. Maybe that's where you find your humanity. So maybe it's a good thing. I talked a bit about a few different classifications of people that I have met throughout my life and finding the value on Audible Ally. And I do plan on going into that in deeper because I remember you messaging me after that when you were like, I wanted to hear more. I'm doing that one like another one. There's going to be a series. I, uh, the first classification of people I talked about is one that I identify with the most. I call the empaths. Those people who just have that inherent supernatural ability to feel what others are feeling. And no, that doesn't mean like if you get stabbed in the eye, I'm going to feel it too. But if you're telling me a story about a way you felt or I experienced something with you that makes you feel a certain way, I'm more apt to kind of feel or sympathize with you at the same time. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. In layman's term, it could just be, I'm just good at reading people, body language, the way they're talking, the way they're paying attention in a social situation. You can kind of use those as clues to how someone is, is doing or and, and read off of their actual emotion, it is draining to answer that question. It is very draining. I've been known for a very long time in my life as super outgoing and uh, what's the word? Jovial. Extroverted. Uh, okay. Extroverted. I've been known as extroverted for a very long time in my life. And I plan on talking about this in, in one of my own episodes as well too, but I think through my experiences, a few of them through the last few years, I think I've kind of switched to more, a little bit more introverted. Maybe not all the way. Maybe, maybe I'm finding more of a, of a balance. But there's times where I'm just too damn exhausted 
to want to go out and do anything or or anything like that. And that's not physically exhausted. It's just mental. Like, man, to be around this group of people or to go out and do this particular activity, I need to be in the right mindset. And I'm just not available mentally to do that. Being around people is absolutely exhausting. Oh, yeah. But when you're only around yourself, it's very limiting in what you can pick up yes. on and observations that you can learn for yourself. Now, what you were just saying about reading people and their body language and their microaggressions and whatnot, I just finished reading this book called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, and I highly recommend it. It's too complicated to analyze five minutes, but it's a good read and it teaches you everything and gives you a lot of perspective on how people have misread situations from police to people that work for the CIA that have tortured uh, suspects to get information. Like there's a whole spectrum of people that have misread body language. Now I'm going to sing a little bit of Creed here. So, and I said, Oh, all held captive out from the sun, a sun that shines on only some. We, the meek are all in one. So wham, bam, cam. Now crime and punishment. How do you feel about people that kill people being killed by the state? How do you feel about capital motherfucking punishment? Do you think that if you take an innocent life or multiple innocent lives, do you think that you should just be killed within the year through the systematic process of the state putting you to death? Or are you fundamentally against it? I don't know about the time frame. I don't think I have any weight in that. But if you kill someone, you're gone. It's okay. one of the many, many reasons I live in Texas. You know, China had a real problem with drugs. I believe it started with the Boxer Rebellion. I can't remember exactly what moment occurred in Chinese history where that opium really started taking the country by hold. China was so fed up with the opium dens and just all their drugged out dazed citizens, they started incorporating harsh fucking laws for smuggling drugs, selling drugs, drug storage, drug usage. I'm talking poppies, I'm talking cocaine, I'm talking illegal shit. I'm not talking like, oh, I took an aspirin. They would, if, if you were caught with drugs, you would be thrown in a basically a Chinese gulag and you would be marched out into a field. You'd be set down in kind of a ritualistic way and you'd be shot in the head. And then your family would be billed for the price of the ammunition that was used to kill you. And wow. I believe that they were carrying out these sentences within a few weeks. It's kind of a good and bad thing. On the good side, drug abuse went down considerably because the stakes were so high. But on the other hand, the question of, well, is it too barbaric comes to mind. No. I think the issue that I have with the American criminal justice system, now this is one area that I actually was my my primary, almost sole focus in college was learning all about like criminal theory and crime and punishment and all this stuff. But to me, someone gets convicted by a jury of their peers and they got a fair trial by all accounts for the murder of three people in the vast majority of states that they're in, they'll either never see the death penalty at all because the death penalty is completely off the table, or they'll be put on death row, like in California, for example, where they will be on death row for 15 years. And all that is, is an opportunity for them to appeal their case up to three times. And some people will say, well, you shouldn't be killing prisoners because it's so expensive. Like the death penalty is so expensive. Well, carrying out the actual procedure is not that expensive. I mean, I think the average prisoner is anywhere from forty to $50,000 a year in cost just to feed them and to provide them all of the creature comforts of, you know, sustaining a human life. The issue that I have is, so why the death penalty is expensive when you appeal the decision in these appellate courts, that is, there's a lot of money that goes into the court costs and all of that. To me, I think that we're too lax 
on the death penalty. Because I've asked a lot of people, it tends to be kind of a social justice warrior mindset in a way, because they tend to really, they really put a lot of stock on human life. And to me, if you take human life, you know, because of murder, not because you're like a combatant in the military or something like that, but if you voluntarily take others' lives and you almost seem to extract some sort of pleasure from it, your life to me is diminished in value mm. because you're a threat to the rest of the human race. I don't value a murderer's life as I would the life of, say, the innocent bystander or the victim that was killed. I think that's the fundamental problem is you know that you can commit this crime and you'll just be in prison for 40 years, 60 years, 100 years, whatever, but you're not going to yeah. be put to death. I say we bring back the old Wild West. One of my favorite shows ever is Firefly, which is a space western, essentially. Yep. And my favorite actor, Nathan Fillion, plays my favorite character ever, Captain Malcolm Reynolds. There's an episode where he has uh, this girl that he's teaching the ropes to, I guess, essentially, about the, the wild space west. She ends up being a bad guy, spoiler alert. But uh. he's telling her, he's telling her, because she's all worried about violence or whatever. She's playing this, like, charade. And that's right, I said charade. And he goes, he goes, listen, if someone tries to kill you, you kill them back. <laughs> it's like, in that world, in that system, that's quite simple. If someone's coming for your life, you take them out. Done. Eye for an eye. Yeah, I fundamentally believe that while the circumstance, okay, it's going to be rare in your life that people are going to just try to kill you. It's going to be a rare circumstance. I mean, you work where you work, you have kind of a small group of people in your life, and you're not actively looking for trouble, right? Now, if you were sleeping on the streets in the most vile and violent areas in the United States, if you were making frequent trips to Chicago, <laughs> for example, I remember when I went to Chicago, all my friends said was, well, you know, hope you don't die. So thank you. If you put yourself in very obvious adversarial risky situations, you're asking for trouble. If you go skydiving and you fall to your death, well, you have to assume a large mantle of that responsibility <laughs> because you voluntarily jumped out of a plane. It's gravity's fault. It's gravity, fucking gravity. I love that that line from the Rat Chili Pepper song, I'm losing the fight with gravity or something like that. I like that. But the idea is that we're too soft and we're too lax and there's really no fear of reprisal. Plus, we have an overburdened jailing system in the first place. So a lot of people are on parole. But the problem is to me, and this is another example of change. So I said that prior to 2017, I was a little more hardened. And now I'm actually a little bit more kind and sympathetic than I was, which is odd because you would think like if you endure a real hardship, sometimes that makes people even harder, right? Yeah. Like in Fight Club, you know, he's like, he was a wad of cookie dough and then he was carved out of wood or whatever. I think about how when I was growing up, I was raised in a conservative household. And by that, I mean, for example, one of the tenets of conservatism is that you're hard on criminals. If someone commits a crime, well, then you know what? They had their chance, they fucked up, and then they're just now one of society's mistakes and they need to be forgotten about. Well, when I was growing up, that made sense to me. My parents had no compassion for criminals, none. And so I kind of grew up with that mentality. However, I started thinking about things in a different way. So let's say that you commit a crime and that crime is a white collar crime. You misappropriated some money or you misrepresented how successful your business was to the tune of, say, $35,000. So it's a white collar crime. Nobody was hurt in a physical capacity. You didn't threaten anyone's life. You simply maneuvered some money around, which in 38 states might have actually been a legal tax loophole or something. But in that particular state at that particular year, because you know the laws change. That's a whole nother yeah. thing. Now, murder is always murder, but you know, the laws can change on a lot of these things. So you go to prison for three years 
for this little white collar caper. And now you're subjected to rape, sexual assault. You're deprived of what Sykes called the five pains of imprisonment, which I learned about in college. And you are around people that are these hardened motherfuckers where they're not teaching you how to be a better person and how to reacclimate to life once you get out after your three years or two years with good behavior or whatever. You're having to be in a daily gladiator survival mode, depending on what prison you are, depending on how that prison is operated. So you have someone that was, oh, they were a criminal, but they were really just selfish or they were egotistical, like you just talked about in removing the mask. But now you go to a place where you're subjected to sexual assault. Nobody likes getting raped. And so now you're getting raped in prison. Well, what is the likelihood, you think, wham bam, that before maybe you were learning your lesson, you were having penance, maybe you were kind of a born again Christian or something in that two to three year period in prison because you have all this time to be alone with your thoughts, which is the point to reflect on and to have regret and guilt. But what is the likelihood that that white collar accountant who's now been subjected to the hardest of the hard and the grittiest of the grit in prison, what is the likelihood they're going to come out a well-balanced individual? Slim to none. Right. And so my argument to my parents was, okay, if the person commits a very, very horrendous crime and then they're executed, no problem, because we don't have to worry about them anymore. However, what if the person just commits kind of a bullshit crime and now they're in prison? Well, unless you're going to kill them, they will be re-entering society. Now, what is better for society to have that person come out and just commit more crimes, worse crimes, because now they've been living this life in prison of hanging out with the criminal element? Or would it be better that they come out of prison and they're actually able to pick up kind of where they left off, not in the criminal portion, but in the law-abiding portion, and they're able to use their prior skills or their prior degrees or whatever to society's advantage? To me, that makes more sense. But the problem is people are going to prisons, man, and they are coming out worse than they went in. That's a problem. (laughs) It is definitely a problem. Prisons are underfunded. A lot of people that work in prisons are working there to get overtime. Mm-hmm. And I was I was so proud of your sister because the way she talked about why she does what she does, she described it as a specific mentality that you have to have to do social work. And to me, working in a prison, to me, that's like actually a form of social work because yeah. you're dealing with people that are vulnerable and they are going to be, to me, working in a prison and whatever classes and institutions you have in prison, it's similar to a teacher of a school because you're taking these minds that are going to be either for students that are going to be entering society in the real world one day. These prisoners are going to be re-entering the real world one day. So how you handle them is very, very precarious. And so I just, I think about that. And I think it would be a great idea to give more money to the education and the rehabilitation. Like the same thing they need to do for military, right? Like soldiers that are coming home and how they need to have instruction for the family members of this is what to expect in your vet that's going to be returning to you and have this whole like reintroduction class or, or organization or template or whatever you want to call it, but something that allows you to bridge that transition. And so I think these people that are going to prison for three years or for 18 months or whatever, bad things happen to you in prison. Did you ever see that show called The Night Of? That's mm-hmm. a pretty, it's a pretty good one. It's based on a true story about, I believe he's an Arabic man in New York who gets accused and charged with a murder and he serves time in jail. He's on trial for a long time and that whole time he's in prison and he's subjected to a lot of terrible things in prison where he basically has to become like a drug mule to like stay alive. And in doing so, he shaves his head, he gets tattoos. So his entire demeanor has now changed where he was just kind of this like doofus guy before. And then they find that they ultimately don't have enough evidence. The prosecution basically drops the case, but the damage is already done. So while he's free, he's far from free. 
I don't want to sound like a bleeding heart liberal or anything, but I did go from being, oh, you fuck up? Well, then no sympathy, you're fucked. Now go to prison and pay your dues. That person's going to reenter society, though. And, you know, prison used to be a room, a brick room with no windows, and you were cobbling shoes on the floor for hours at a time in dark, dank conditions. That makes people go crazy, bro. That's not good. It's not good. No. But I mentioned a quote from Dostoevsky, and he wrote Crime and Punishment. But what he's noted for is this quote, the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. So he served about four years hard time in a prison camp in Siberia, and he was describing the conditions. He said that in the summer, there was intolerable closeness. In winter, there was unendurable cold. All the floors were rotten. Filth on the floors an inch thick. One could slip and fall. We were packed like herrings in a barrel. That's not good. You got to treat prisoners with a modicum of respect because you have to assume that they will not be dying in prison, Jeffrey Epstein style. They will be coming out again and they need to be able to function and they need to be able to work and they need to be able to produce. So yeah. that's kind of my take on it is it's it's tough. It's a tough it's a tough realm to try to navigate through. Like if I if I went to prison today, there'd be something, <laughs> some terrible, horrible thing would happen. I don't think I'd make it all the way through that system. Uh, I'd either make make it worse for myself, Hulk out, outburst or something, or someone just get tired of me and smash my head under a toilet seat. You know, so <laughs> I, it's it's wouldn't be a good situation. Maybe that's what keeps me. That's maybe that's what keeps me behaving uh, in a law abiding citizen. Uh, <laughs> or maybe but, maybe you go there and you you have a real knack for it and you end up being like the leader of the prison and then you lead a revolt and you get like 50,000 prisoners out of the prison like in that movie Batman Begins you know maybe you run it like that scarecrow style <laughs> happier thoughts it's tough though because if you ever spend any time looking at any religious text the repetitive premise is forgiveness and so I keep having this discussion with Red Devil. Do you in Polish, do you find yourselves talking about questions like, what does it all mean? What are we doing here? What is our purpose? Is there a God? Do you find that you're engaging in conversations like that with her semi-regularly, periodically, never, always? Well, in five months, we'll have been together for 20 years. So we've had those conversations many, numerous times. And but it's been so long now since we've had them. Like We know each other's stance. We've discuss those things before. So they haven't come up recently. <laughs> well, you know, I found that it's good to have kind of refreshers from time to time because like I told Polish the last time I saw her, maybe pickles taste good now. Maybe the taste change. And as you've changed, as she's changed, maybe you guys have possibly more common ground over that. Okay, over we, tr that we tried the pickle thing the other night. That didn't work. I tried to give her one. She was like, no. Mm. I was making a hamburger and I had pickles. I was going to put them on there. I was like, here. And she was like, no. I was like, okay. Mm. That's a psychological block. We're going to need to break through that. I like sleeping in my bed. So if you would like to come over here and make that happen, more power to you, my friend. Well, that was, that was actually going to be my advice is the next time she sleeps, just put pickles on her face. No, I choose life. <laughs> <laughs> she will go to prison laughing. <laughs> wow. Um, well, 20 years. It's not too late. You got a big thing planned for the, uh, the big two zero? Well, it's just 20 years of being together. It's this, it'll be 16 years of marriage. You know, I find that over enough time, it all just kind of blends together. It really does. First That's date, why I just started saying 20 years. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, the fact that you made it this long. I mean, statistically, I know that people getting married out of high school is becoming obviously more of a rarity, but I'm sure it's still popular in small towns because, hey, I mean, these are the people you have to work with. This is your sample size. But I think that you guys have been together statistically 
probably longer than a lot of first-time marriage couples. That's crazy. That's worth celebrating, just the fact that you're still together. Because <laughs> you know there were days, much like when you talk about this Hulk outrage in prison, you know there were days where you were holding her like Predator was holding Arnold up against a tree. Is today the day that you're going to- Six and a half pounds of force. Wow. It also takes a very small amount of force to rip someone's earlobe off. Isn't that crazy? Okay. We will, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we need to understand why we both know each of those things. <laughs> well, I just remember thinking that a guy that I grew up with when I was a kid was a real asshole. His name was Joey. And he Mike was just- Mike Tyson does ass, gotcha. No, I, I actually didn't do anything. I was, I was very young. I didn't even know what was really happening, but this guy was like the neighborhood menace, like Dennis the Menace, if you will. He liked to stick bubble gum in people's electrical outlets uh, outside their home. But what I remember witnessing him do was my childhood friend, Trevor, he had two sisters. You know what Joey did one day? He just ripped the earring out of one of the girl's ears. Started, she started bleeding profusely. Okay. Never knew why he did it. I think he had like, he was hyperactive and all the other terms that they had at that time, but he was just a miscreant. And I don't know whatever befell him, but I doubt he is still alive. Because you know nowadays, man, especially in Texas, you piss off the wrong ombre and you're in a it's world over. of hurt. It's over. Bruce Sodecker, he figured that one out. Oh, dude, Bruce. Lucky for him, the shots just barely grazed his buttocks. Just, just right by him. So hang on, audience, because chapter five of The Basement Party is in the works. Know that I would love to just write the entire story in two days, but because these scripts are written completely from scratch with a shit ton of dialogue, it takes time to give you a story in its prime. Now, dude, let's just take a minute. Okay, we're talking about crime and punishment, but let's talk about reward, right? So you got the carrot and you got the stick. Yes. So sometimes it's like a little less stick, a little more carrot. And if you eat carrots, by the way, you have perfect fucking vision, just like me. Lies. Just Lies. like me. I don't know. Lies. I don't know. Have you ever Lies. seen have you ever seen a bunny rabbit with fucking glasses on or contacts? I have not. See? You don't watch never mind. <laughs> You're gonna find some obscure fucking rabbit that nobody gives a shit about to make Yeah, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> okay. But as as far as the cast system of reward, I want you to just give yourself a pat on the back because you have started a whole you've started your own brand. Like not a lot of people can say they have their own brand. But not only did you start your own brand with double A, awesomeness anonymous, by the way. That's what it stands for. Because you're, you're, like you, it. you know, you're so awesome, but you're not going to boast how awesome you are because you're that awesome. You see, in certain situations, I definitely do. Oh, well, <laughs> then there's another A for that. Asshole. That's right. Yeah. Um, but you started your own brand and you have amassed a following. Now, a lot of people try this and yeah, you know, they'll get a few people to listen or whatever, but you actually have people that want to hear what you have to say. So let's just take a minute and celebrate that success. And I know that you're so diehard about it that even with all these work travels that you're going to be embarking on, you're still going to find a way to make it work. Hey, oh, I made a commitment. And yes, you've challenged me. And let me tell you, I was tempted this week when I found out I had travel to do next week. I was tempted to be like, do I just insert a little bit at the end of a recording and say, hey, you know, AA is going to take off for the next week or two until I can kind of get back and get my bearings. But no, I decided to do quite the opposite and double down and in the last three days have recorded and almost produced all the way out a few episodes ahead of time now, just so I can keep this commitment I made. Am I tired as well? Absolutely. Will it be worth it to hold my commitment that I made to those allies who are following and waiting for that episode every week? Yes, that's worth it. Well, I just think about Chick-fil-A. 
They should open every Sunday and that's 365 days they would be open for business. They never did. They said, fuck you, even though you know that the financial motivation must be severe and intense, but they still are like, no, we're not doing it. So I say, you know, whether you break routine, whether you don't break routine, it's entirely up to you. But you know, the good thing is, is that you also have this little built-in card, this ace up your sleeve in the back of your pocket as well. I guess there's four aces in a deck, so this still works. But you're loaded with aces because what you can always do is you can always just do an off-the-cuff sesh where you're like, Mm -hmm. hey, everybody, normally I give you this structured routine, but guess what? Today, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And man, for all those people that are expecting like, okay, we'll call them the Arnold Schwarzenegger fans who are wanting Predator 2 to be just like Predator 1. For those fans (laughs) that are expecting the same cookie cutter house, they're going to be like, oh, shucks. But if they divert their attention to your podcast because you decide to throw one little curveball, then fuck them. You know, they shouldn't even be there anyway because they're not loyal. But imagine the people that'll be like, holy shit. Whoa, what is, what is he doing? This is absolutely nutsoid. And then they're going to be, they're going to be sending it to all their friends. They're going to be like, this motherfucker's crazy. He's coming at us with crazy shit. He doesn't even, he doesn't even know what he's going to say. That's all. The good news is that you have options and it's nice I to do. have options. It's I like, do. even when all the options suck, like when Matt Damon is talking to Robin Williams, and I believe that you talked about Robin Williams in your semicolon session. And man, what a loss to all of us. His, uh, his death was, I remember Matt Damon is talking about his life and he's like, yeah, my dad used to put, you know, three things on a table, a belt, a hammer and a stick, and then say, choose. Yep. He's like, oh, I'd have to go with the, the belt there, Jimbo. And he's like, no, I went with the hammer. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, because fuck him. But still, <laughs> options. <laughs> options are nice, you know. Um, Dude, that's, I never got a choice growing up. Yeah, All I know is I never messed with mom when she was in the garden because she grabbed whatever was closest to her. Uh, and so you- I'm, starting, <laughs> I'm starting to get images of children of the corn, baby, with a sickle and a scythe, claw hammer. Dude, maybe that's why. Like, so a some trowel. People- you actually never asked me this question, but some to me, one of the scariest movies I've ever watched is Children of the Corn. And I've never really been able to explain why, but I think we just made the connection right here, right now. <laughs> that could absolutely be one. Well, I mean, most horror is rooted in reality of sorts, yeah. right? It's hard to get scared. Well, Alien's a rare exception, but like, why would you be scared about what's happening to people on a fucking spaceship when you know yeah. that you're never going to be on a fucking spaceship? It's obviously more scary when you're watching a movie like Strangers with Scott fucking Speedman and Liv Tyler about a home invasion when you're yeah. out in the countryside because yep. you grew up in the countryside, baby. And you know, damn yeah, it well. Doesn't mess with me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but like Children of the Corn, I mean, we've all been there, man. You're driving yeah. around in your, your station wagon. You're in Gatling, Nebraska. You start running low on gas. And then some creep and a fucking preacher hat named Malachi starts running after you. Happens to all of us, man. Happens I was just... Dude, I was just trying to make it to Wally World and had to say, roll them up. And I don't know, how many more connections can we make to driving a station wagon through a cornfield? Anyway, next. As many as you want, man. I mean, there's no shortage of station wagons driving through cornfields. Hey, absolutely not. Did you ever watch that YouTube video about the guy who took his friend on a drive and there's a camera set up in the back with like the night vision on? He's driving his friend along this desolate country road and apparently his friend scares easy. He pulls over the car, pretending like he has to pee or whatever, and he's right by some cornfield. And while he's peeing, his like girlfriend, who the other guy doesn't know is in the car, climbs up in the back seat. She pulls her head through her shirt, so all of her hair is draped no. down in front of her like Mara in Mm-mm. the ring. And then she lunges at him. His no. scream and his falling out of the Mm-mm. car is so fucking hilarious. Dead. I, I, I'd be I'm, dead. But that's risky, man. You scare someone like that? What happens when they do something that you didn't expect? Like they get out of the car, they start running into oncoming traffic. Now they're dead. Now you're in prison, sexual assault in prison. 
All because like you it. thought you were going to scare someone. I feel like, yeah, and then does does the crime match? The I don't know. I don't know. Oh if the goal, if, okay, if you scared them to death, like they died thinking that Mara from the ring was going to eat their liver. If if you scared them to death, it only makes sense that you be scared to death. So you would yeah. have to go to prison and have a guy named Malachi run at you with a scythe and then hit you until you die from it. <laughs> oh my gosh. But seriously, like it's just it's so fucked up because I remember like okay, so this is the example that my criminal justice professor used. He said, because it was it was all about the idea of for you to have men's ray, you have to commit an act, and your intent has to be concomitant to that act, and then it has to lead to this person's demise. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the intention. And you have to use the action that carries out your intention into this death. That's what you have to have to have men's ray. Like you can't have just the one. You have to have the act and you have to have the mindset. Well, the example he gave was you want to scare this guy. So you start shooting at him. He panics, like kind of like in the basement party episode four listeners. <laughs> you start running. You jump over a fence that says, watch out, minefield, U.S. military. The guy Jeez. starts running into a minefield to get away from you. And then he blows um. up with a mine. Was it foreseeable no. that you shooting at no. him was going to lead to him running into a minefield? But it doesn't matter because guess what the United States law books came up with and all their brilliance? They have something called the felony murder rule, where even if your intent is not to kill somebody, if you're committing a felony, say robbing a bank or something, and then a person dies throughout the course of that action, you are going to be charged with their murder because of the felony murder rule. And I don't know how I feel about that. Example, and man, we're going to get really fucking nihilistic and gritty here. But let's say that you don't like this woman, so you kill her. Okay, no problem. Your intention was to kill this woman because she served you onion rings instead of french fries at Mm. the Wendy's drive-in. Totally Mm. reasonable, right? You had a hankering for them onion rings. I like a good onion ring. What about you? Do you like a good onion ring? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You kill this woman. You know, you plan it out. You kill her. Fine. No big deal. But she was pregnant. Now, you didn't know she was pregnant because she was like six weeks pregnant. She didn't even know she was pregnant, but she was six weeks pregnant which they will find out at the autopsy. Now you get charged with two murders, her mm. and the unborn baby. On the one hand, wham, bam, I can see we do not want to have a country where people are running around killing pregnant women. <laughs> no. We don't want to have that. If you're really going to get down into the nitty fucking gritty of it, where is the intent to kill the child? Secondly, how do we know that that child would have ever even reached fruition because there's a big gap between six weeks and nine months pregnant. There's a big gap in there. A lot can happen. It's tough. It's, I mean, obviously you clearly charge them for murder number one, no doubt. It's tough, man. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they work that out in the law books because again, you have to have the intention and the person has to be alive. But once again, much like the felony murder rule, they're trying to disparage you going around killing pregnant women. So yeah. What about you? Are there any weird laws that come to mind with regard to just things that you're like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that law. No, (laughs) nothing I can think of off the top of my head, man. Do you have a problem if when police officers pull you over for a minor traffic infraction, that not only is their hand on their gun, but they're pointing the gun in your general direction as they're approaching the vehicle? can say that that has never happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if it did, we'll go hypothetical because I have had a few like pulled over for like a taillight being out, right? If they had come up fucking heat style with all their goddamn guns and the cars flipped over and shit, and I'm like, it's it's my goddamn taillight. What is going on here? Then yeah, I'd, I'd probably have some words to say. I wouldn't think that that would be fair by all means. Fortunately, that has never happened. Well, it should be told to you now, Pottings, that the reason that he never gets pulled over is because he has a big decal on the back of his vehicle that says, 
I love the popo. That's right. But it was actually a typo. And the graphic artist that put it together, he meant to say I love poo poo. They left out a couple of they, O's. They, they left out they left out the double O's. <laughs> I only got two O's instead of four. So he still loves he he still loves scat. But he's never going to have to pay for a ticket for the rest of his days. And as that vehicle is paid off, he will probably have it for a long, long time. Now that Jesus said that, it yeah, it's gone. Thanks. Wow. I didn't realize. It'll it'll go the way of the Dodge. I didn't realize that I had such power in what No, I have that much of a curse. I've never owned a vehicle for longer than like six months after paying it off. Oh, really? Oh, really? I had no idea. I have a curse. I have a curse. See, it's funny because of all the things we talked about, that's proven to be the most disturbing thing is that you can't hold on to a vehicle after you paid it off. That's fucking I up. really can't. It pisses me <laughs> off, man. <laughs> I mean, we talked like, about butchering pregnant women and Malachi running around with a scythe. And this yeah, that's the one. The that's the one thing. That's the one thing. I'm all red faced now. I'm like flipping tables. Woo! Woo! Nature Boy, Rick Blair. Now, I will have you know that Dostoevsky, along with writing books about how society should treat its prisoners well, and that is how you can have a civil civilization. It is reported that over 40,000 people attended his fucking funeral. Wow. 40,000 people. Because apparently, for example, when he was in prison, he exhibited a great deal of sympathy and help to some of his neighboring prison occupants. And they were so surprised by his kindness. And one guy was so shocked and surprised by his kindness that he eventually abandoned the decision to kill himself because he was like on the fucking cusp. He was like working his way towards that semicolon. But he would go on. So I thought that was interesting. And now, from his own words, Dostoevsky, when I look back on my past and I think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time has been lost in futilities, errors, laziness, incapacity to live, how little I appreciated it, how many times I sinned against my heart and soul, then my heart bleeds. Life is a gift. Life is happiness. Every minute can be an eternity of happiness. So there you have it. Now, wham, bam, I challenge you with a little Whiskey Wednesday assignment. It's a two-parter. The first part is to stock up with some fucking liquor so that the next time we have a Whiskey Wednesday, we will be welcoming you back from the great Sun Devil State of Arizona, and we will be drinking. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get fucking sloshed on the next Whiskey Wednesday. We're going to drink three drinks before we even start the fucking thing. I'm down. You might, you, you might have to take. You might have to take a work from home day the next day after. I probably, I probably would have done that today after the day I had, but I have nothing here. So no, that's okay, man. The code word moving forward is whenever you have the day from Dick, just type me the word muskrat. Muskrat, muskrat means got it. I am having a shitty fucking day and I need it. I need it. Okay, one of my favorite lines from The Office <laughs> is when Stephen Carell is dressed up like Santa Claus. And he keeps trying to get people to sit on his lap and they're not biting. And finally, Jim, with his eternally calm and tranquil voice says, okay, listen, you can't keep pulling your your coworkers down on your lap and saying how much you need this. (laughs) Okay. 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 Palies. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Wham, bam, cam. Thank you. You upright moral potience. You might be tempted to steal, but instead search, seek and scour for a hell of a great deal which in its own way is a steal, but a law-abiding, rule-residing steal. In some ways, our punishments outweigh the crime, but that occurs whilst serving time. My best advice is to act correct, remain morally erect, and heed my motherfucking rhyme. Come both correct and in your respective seat erect, 
for your next auditory window into Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam with your next Whisk Wed session. Don't be a loser and a law abuser. Do not the rules misuse or your liberty you'll lose. And so soon you'll be singing Prison Moonshine Blues. What was once a noose has morphed into a lethal injection ooze. Cheers, audience, to trading in handcuffs for earmuffs, to comfort your ears as you listen to Chemo Hawk Sessions, offering these warming whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. For your next auditory concoction, Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam, 10th Wednesday, oh, double digits, and we will be drinking double proof, obviously. Whiskey to one's heart. Oh. Now, will we be talking about love? Yes. Will we be talking about werewolves? Yes. Will we be talking about silver bullets penetrating werewolves' hearts? Absolutely. So prepare awesome. yourself for whiskey to one's heart, which we will be talking about love and werewolves and blood and everything else under the goddamn sun. Falsetto and Wham Bam Cam. Out.